1: to see you guys here this evening. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Jude, if you will. That's the vestibule of the Revelation is what I like to reference that book. Jude, there's only, what, 25 verses in the book of Jude. I do want to apologize to you for starting this study without realizing that it would be four weeks later before we would get back to this study uh, so with that being said, I'm going to give a little bit of a review <clears throat> on what we've already covered and then uh, try to unpack and cover a few more things dealing uh, with this great, great book, the book of Jude. Are you there? Jude. It's right before the book of Revelation, all the way in the back of your New Testament. Uh, there's uh, 25 verses. But I promise you, when you start going verse by verse through this tiny book, uh, it can really take probably months ...to get through preaching this book. Once again, I'm just going to give you a panoramic view of this great little book and this great epistle. And I really think this is a, a special book for us in this day and age. Uh, because the book of Jude was really written to, the, to those that would be living at the end of the church age. Now, we don't ever really know who that is. But however, we do know that we are some 2,000 plus years removed from the beginning of the church age. Uh, So I think it kind of goes in reason that we could be possibly at the end of the church age, the end of this age, which began, by the way, you remember, when did the church age begin? On the day of Pentecost, right, exactly. Um, The reason we believe it began on the day of Pentecost and not in Matthew chapter 18 when Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Some put that the beginning of the church age. I do not put the church age there. You want me to tell you why? Because if we put the church age there, then I believe we've got believers in, in the Lord Jesus Christ that have not been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so I put the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in an individual's heart, and Jesus took off and went to heaven to be seated by the right hand of God the Father. That's the beginning of the church age. Okay, So Jude is writing to those that would be living at the end of the church age. And I believe we can look around us today and we can see some of the writings of Jude, some of the writings of 2 Peter, some of the writings of Paul when he wrote to Timothy. And they unpack for us, if you will, some of the characteristics of the end of the church age. Now, do not confuse the end of the church age with the end of time. Okay? Two different things altogether. Uh, some folks are really, really concerned about the, uh, what, 12, 21, 12, supposed to be the end of the calendar or what have you, and the world's supposed to end, and this and that and the other, and um, that really doesn't bother me a whole lot. Uh, what I am really excited about whenever people make those types of predictions, I'm really looking for a crowd this coming Sunday at church, Right? <laughs> Because people are going to be fr- afraid come December. Don't, don't live in fear, guys. I don't want you to live in fear like that. But I am hoping we have a packed house this Sunday. Because for those that may be afraid, hopefully they want to get things right with God Sunday. And I'll help them do that. Uh, and hopefully we can continue to see them grow in the Lord. But, but listen, if, if the church is called out, if we get to the end of the church age, then according to Scripture... There's still another thousand and seven years that this earth will be here, right, because of the seven year tribulation period that we find in the scripture and the thousand one thousand year millennial reign of Christ that we find in scripture where he will come back and literally sit on David's throne and rule and reign the earth okay so we know at least a thousand seven i don't want to get into all that the book of jude is is really writing to those that are living at the end of that church age and i think it's pretty pretty exciting that we i believe we see ourselves there and uh, so we can certainly take this little epistle to heart by the way you know what an epistle is right it's the wife of an apostle correct no, no, it's just a small letter. Let's, let's pray, and then I want us to jump into this, this wonderful little book and give a little overview. Father, we stand in awe of your word this evening. And God, when I get in your word and study, I'm reminded of why I surrendered my life to ministry. Sometimes the daily administration of the church the administrative duties of the church the counseling and the caring for members of the church sometimes that gets heavy. Sometimes that's very weighty. But how refreshing it is to be able to just glean from your word. Father, what I'm about to do is what I love doing more than anything else in the world. Just unpacking your word. Thank you that we live in America. Thank you that we live in a country of freedom so that we can have copies of of the inspired, infallible Word of God so we can have multiple translations of the Word of God that can help us better understand and comprehend the Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for all the study material that we have in America today. Thank you for all the technology and the software programs that are there that help us dig deeper into your Word What a privilege it is to study the Word of God. I pray now you'd open our hearts and our minds and, Lord, you would help us to receive what it is that you'd have us to receive this evening. If there's one here tonight that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that tonight would be the night when, when they would ask you to come into their heart, repent of their sins and turn from their ways and And ask you to be their savior. If there's one here tonight that. Dear God. If there's one here tonight that. Just needs to rededicate. Recommit their life to you. I pray that. This evening Lord. Will be the evening that they would do that. Maybe there's one here that's just discouraged. May they be encouraged. By the word of God tonight. We ask your blessings on our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen we're looking in the book of jude and i just want to go over once again and give us a panoramic view and i'm going to park in a few different places and, and help us to see this little book and then starting next wednesday evening i'm really going to start in verse 1 and really just start working our way through this book but i think we got to have a good introduction for those that missed the first introduction i'm going to give you a little bit of um, a recap on that hopefully take us a little further than what we were able to get in that first introduction but i think it's I think it's important that we lay the foundation. I think it's important we lay the groundwork uh, whenever we start studying a a passage of Scripture or a particular book of Scripture. The first thing I want you to see is the author. Who is the author of this book that's called the book of Jude? Well, look in verse number 1. It says, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I just want to remind you, of course, that the author of the book of Jude is Jude, okay? But who was Jude? We know in Scripture, in verse number one, he says he's a brother of James, right? And and that's true as well. Here's another important thing I want you to remember about Jude, and I said this last time, I'm going to say it again. Jude was a half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I I think it's pretty ironic, and I don't know about you, but I think if I was writing the book of Jude today, I would say, and and I'm Jude and I'm writing this book, I would say, Jude, a half-brother of Jesus, you know? I mean, that gives some validity to what he would be saying and writing and penning, but we find that Jude did not do that. We find he, he makes reference that he is a, a brother of James. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about Jude and James, and we can read this in the New Testament and also in the book of Acts. You can study and find more about this. But you'll find that his brothers did not even believe that he was the Messiah. Okay, They did not believe in him until after his resurrection. So maybe that's why Jude doesn't even give reference that he's a half-brother of our Lord because of his humility, Maybe he's a little bit embarrassed because of his unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I believe it's more because he's so humble and he's so reverent of who Christ is that he doesn't even want to put himself in the same category as our Lord. And so he just says that I am Jude, a slave. Now, that's an interesting word there, and I'm going to unpack that more whenever we start unpacking it verse by verse. But whenever you see that term there, when he says, I'm a slave, some translation says I'm a bond slave. What that means is I am a servant that has willfully chosen to serve my master. Okay, I'm not being made to be your slave. I'm willfully choosing to lay down my life and be a slave for my master, a servant, a bond servant of the Lord or a slave for Jesus Christ. Cross and, and that's what Jude is saying. He's doing it now. He's a half-brother of our Lord. Uh, he's a brother of James. Uh, matter of fact, James and, um, and Jude, uh, you, you, I, I believe, according to Matthew chapter 13 and other references of Scripture, that they didn't even become believers in Jesus' cross until after... His resurrection. So the author of the book is Jude, and you can do a, a more of a, a lot deeper character study, but I think that'll do for us for now as we think about who this author is. What about the date of the writing? I think that's always important. Whenever you're trying to put this epistle, this writing within the proper context of Scripture, what about the date of the writing? Well, That is somewhat uncertain. We don't know exactly when the date was. We believe it was somewhere between AD 60 and AD 80, somewhere in that time frame that Jude wrote. We do know this, however, that the book of Jude and Peter's writings were very, very close one to another. Matter of fact, you can go over and I want you to turn back and I took you here the other week, but I want to take you there once again. Second Peter chapter number two. Now, Turn to Second Peter chapter. It's just turn back a couple pages, and you'll get to Second Peter. Don't don't go all the way back to the middle of your Bible. Just just lick your finger, flip it a few pages back, and and, and you're going to get to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter number two and verse number one. But I want to go back to the book of Jude, and, and I want you to look where it says in Jude chapter three, or I'm sorry, chapter three. There's no chapter. Jude three. It's hard to say sometimes, isn't it? Jude 3, I want you to look there. He says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, or the common salvation that's mentioned in a lot of translations, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith. And then he says in verse number 4, For some men who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. In other words, they've come in undercover. They are ungodly and they are turning the grace of our God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ our only Master and Lord. Now, if you go back to Second Peter chapter number two and verse number one, you'll find that Peter is writing along that very same topic and he's concerned about that very same thing. You see, because these were the apostles, these were the were were the first pastors, if you will, of the early church, and they're laying a very important foundation for the early church. And I, I find it somewhat even ironic. Even in that day, there were false preachers and there were false teachers and there were people that were sliding into the church teaching false doctrine. And we certainly have that in our day as well. That's why you need to be very careful. Get this church. You need to be very careful who you're listening to the books that you're reading, the teaching that you're listening to, because listen, the scripture teaches us that Satan is not above transforming himself into an angel of light. If you will sticking a Bible under his arm, calling it a conference and inviting people out to come hear me or her speak and they be not necessarily a prophet of God. Hello? We must contend for the faith and we must be very careful. But Peter's writing about that same thing. Look, if you will, in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1. It says, but there were also, get this, false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Now, guys, you may say, well, will you give me a list of who you think false prophets and false teachers are. I'd love to do that, but I would do that more one-on-one with you. What I would encourage you to do, if you want, if you want to know, meet with me, talk with me. I'll share some reasons why I wouldn't follow a particular person with you according to Scripture. But here's what I encourage you to do. You remember when Paul wrote about the Bereans in the book of Acts? And he said that they were more noble because they did something. What was it they did? They searched the scriptures daily to check what Paul and others were preaching to see if that was truly the word of God. Guys, listen, I hope and pray every single one of you do that. I'd I'd love for you, I would love for you to get so engrossed in what I'm teaching that, man, you're just looking for heresy and you're looking for flaws. And, man, get in there, pin it down, write it down, let's get together. If I'm wrong, I've always said this, in my teaching of Scripture, if you come and if someone comes and makes me aware that what I'm teaching is incorrect, I'll stand up here and ask for your forgiveness. I'm not above doing that. I don't stand up here with a proud, egotistical look because it's not about me. It's about God. And I stand up here nearly every single time I stand here, I stand in here somewhat in fear, knowing that one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account of how I handled the Word of God. So I would love to know. Man, I would that would that would enthuse me so much. That would make me so excited to know that, that you were studying so deeply diligently along with me and man you're writing things down and you're unpacking the scripture and you're digging in there and maybe you have a question and you say pastor i don't really understand where you got that out of this passage of scripture will you help me to see that man i would love to meet with you about some of those things hello you know what i would then tell folks i would say listen listen guys especially if we have guest speakers come in here You better be on your P's and Q's. Let me tell you why. Because this group at Victory, I call them the most noble church I have ever pastored because they search the Scriptures daily. Sound familiar? They search the Scriptures daily to see if what you are teaching is truly the Word of God. And they've got the radar up for false prophets and false teachers that may try to slide in to the people. We need to get back to that, folks. Say amen or on me, but we need to get there. Hello? I mean, that's what that's what Jude is talking about. That's what Peter is talking about in 2 Peter. False prophets and false teachers among you. So, that, so we see the date of writing, 60 to 80 A.D. And we also see that he wrote very closely to the writings of Peter. Well, what's the purpose of the book of Jude? I want you to look in verse number 3 and 4. And here I believe we find the purpose... Of this epistle. The purpose of this letter. Jude. Why did you write this book? Why did you write it? He said dear friends in verse 3. Although get this. I was eager. Man I love this part. I was eager to write unto you about this and the translation I grew up with was the King James. And that's the one I preached that up for many, many years before I started out of the homin here. And, and so that's the passages or the translation that I put more to memory than any other translation. And there he talks about this common salvation. Okay? Now I want you to look in, in the home and it says, this salvation that we share, which I still think is true to the text. But this common salvation, this thing we have in common, this thing that we rally around, this thing that we focus on. I was in a mission board, our state mission board meeting yesterday for many hours and, and I'm sitting in there in our, in our board meeting and, and we're talking about church planning, a lot of different philosophies, different paradigms, a lot of different things. I said, guys, listen, if there's one thing we can rally around, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to me, all that matters is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached. Right? I mean, that's that common salvation. You know, we may disagree on some other things, and I'm not talking about the fundamentals of the faith. I'm talking about some things that, that really sometimes we need to show more more grace in than I think often we do. I, I'm, I'm talking about the fundamental, I'm talking about the gospel. We ought to be able to find a rallying point, a koinonia, a fellowship, a common salvation around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, Dear friends, I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share. I was eager to write about this common salvation. As a matter of fact, he said, I just wanted to encourage him." And, and man, I just want to talk about Jesus. And I want to talk about his death and why he died. And, and how we're all born in sin. And, and we need to be saved. And we need to be born again. And how, how Jesus bore our sin on the cross. And how he died there. And, and it was all God's ultimate plan. And, and how he was buried in the tomb. And he came out victorious the third day. And he ascended to the heavens. I wanted to talk to you about that, Judas say. But, look what he says, but I found it, but it's not in there, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith. That word contend, that's a military term. Whenever you see that word contend there, I want you to get the word picture, if you will, of a of army general standing before his troops. And he's giving his orders out to his troops about how they are to execute the strategic plan going into battle. This is how you are to fight. That's the same paradigm, if you will, or the same mentality, if you will, that Jude is riding. He says, I want you to contend. I want you to fight for it. I want you to stand up. I want you to to put together a strategic plan. I want you to rally around the cross and stand for the gospel in these last days. And guys, let me tell you something. We look around in Christianity today, and I don't know that there's a whole lot of contending for the faith. I don't know. I've seen Maybe I'm just getting older. (laughs) You know, I guess there's something that comes with age. I keep denying that I'm getting older, but the day that I don't shave, such as today, I see the gray there, and I'm thinking, oh, you're getting older. Have you ever looked in your mirror and you look, and I think, man, I look just like my daddy. You guys ever done that? Now, I guess for my dad, that would be a compliment. For me, I'm like, you know, the only, I mean, when I was a boy, my dad in my eyes has always been old. (laughs) Right? Right? I remember, I remember when he celebrated his 29th birthday when I was a boy and, and then when he turned 30, I'm thinking, man, dad, you're old. That's how Jose, or that's how, um, Joey sees you, Jose. You're an old man in Joey's eyes. That's how it was in my dad's eyes. And I realize I'm getting older, but here's what I do know. I do know that we're living in an age where so much has changed. In the church. And I'm not talking about whether you wear a tie or not. I'm not talking about the style of music. I'm not talking about some of those things. I'm talking about contending for the faith. Preaching the gospel. We live in this politically correct era. Where people don't want to hear about hell. Really? There's a hell? No, we can't preach about hell today. Don't you know that's not politically correct? Listen guys, if there is no hell to shun and there is no heaven to gain, my question is, why did Jesus even come and die? Hello? There is a hell to shun. Matter of fact, there is a hell that people are going to if they do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about getting baptized. I'm not talking about taking communion. You can do all those works of righteousness and still miss heaven. I'm talking about being born again. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And Judas saying, guys, you must contend for that. And as we're living in this day and age of this postmodern era of Christianity, and we're certainly in that, we can't deny it. We can act like we're not in it all we want to, and it won't change the reality that we are in it. But we must still contend for the faith. We must rally around the cross. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. Is it still that old bloody religion? Yes it is, but it's still that bloody religion in the blood of Jesus Christ being shed for sinners that gets us all to heaven. Without that we have no hope. Paul said, without Jesus Christ and, and hope of heaven, we are of all men most Finish it for me. You know it. Miserable. We must contend. For the faith, and his purpose in writing is that he knew in these last days it would get difficult. He knew in these last days, in the end of the church age, things will get hard. Matter of fact, I want you to turn. I don't know. Look, if you will, and um, actually look at the end of Jude in verse number eighteen. Or look at verse seventeen. Jude seventeen. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted, 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 prophesied by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ? They told you, get this, in the end time there will be scoffers. What's that, scoffers? Those that are just making light of or making fun of. Aren't you amazed at how Christianity is scoffed in our day? Any sitcom you watch, who's going to be the... Idiot moron that they make fun of in those sitcoms. And we, because we have been numbed to that, we've been desensitized to that, we'll sit back and laugh along with them as we watch the sitcoms. Shame on us. But who is it they're making fun of? The Christian. The one that's going to church. The one that's trying to live right. The one that's not running around on his wife. The one that's not out there in sin. The one that's not getting drunk. The one that's not partying. The one that is living ethically and morally and biblically. Those are the ones we get made fun of on our TV programs, right? Uh, Should that surprise us? No, no, no. Jude said in the end time, there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires these people create divisions and they are unbelievers not having the spirit uh, peter wrote about the same thing turn back just a few pages look your finger turn back second peter chapter 3 i want you to look in verse number 3 peter writes about this as well second peter chapter 3 verse number 3 he says first get this first Be aware of this scoffers will come in the last days to scoff, living according to their own desires, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers have fallen asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. Once again, we see the scoffers are there. So what's the purpose of the rotting? Well, he wanted to contend for the faith back in Jude verse number three, but he tells us that we've. Or he wants us to, to rally around this common salvation. But he tells us that we must contend for the faith. Now, I think also another reason that Jude wrote this book for us, this letter for us, was to warn us about the possibility of apostasy. And I want, I want to talk more about that as we work our way through this book. But I believe in the possibility of apostasy. And here's one reason I do, because of what Jude wrote. There's many other passages of Scripture, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 3, um, Peter's writings, Paul's writings, that talk about this idea of an apostate, one that willfully rejects Christ. Now, just let me say this. Some people have asked me, do you think... Do you think, and they'll ask me this in counseling, and they're struggling with their walk with the Lord and where they are, and, and they're really concerned about that, and they'll think, Do you think I've committed apostasy? And my immediate response is no. Because if you commit apostasy, there will be nothing in you that has a desire for the things of God. You will have no concern whatsoever of whether you may or may not have committed it. You will have no regard for the things of God whatsoever, and I'm going to unpack that more as we get through this, but, but that's one of the purposes of why Jude is writing this book. Matter of fact, it's the only book in the entire scripture, Word of God, that I believe is entirely written and given for, or to educate us and to equip us about the great apostasy. And we're going to unpack that and see that as we work our way through this, Okay. What are some key verses? Let me try to jump to this real quick. I've got about 15 minutes. And we're just still, we're just kind of hovering around the book of Jude and picking out a few things here. And, and I want you to get some of this. What are some of the key verses? I want you to jot these down. I've already mentioned a couple of them. But in, in Jude 3, I think this is this is an important verse. Uh, You've you got to get a hold of this one. Okay? In Jude 3, this is a key verse. In this book. And he says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the the salvation that we share, or this common salvation, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith. Now that's as far as I want to go there, but that is a a key verse of scripture in this entire epistle. He said, I wanted to write to you about this common salvation. But I want, now I'm going to write to you that you contend. He changed his topic. What do you think took place there? I, I think because the Word of God certainly is inspired by God. And the scripture teaches us that holy men of God wrote as they were born along by the Holy Spirit. And, and he led them and guided them and, and, and gave them freedom in the writing. you can see that in all the different authors. You can see their, their character style and who they were and their personalities in the scripture. But God led them to write exactly what he wanted written. And I think when it started out, Jude was all excited and happy about this common salvation. The Holy Spirit pricked his heart and said, I want you to move in this direction. I want you to rally the troops. I want you to, I want you to talk to them about contending for the faith. But look what he said at the first part of it. I love that part. I was eager to write about you or to write you about the salvation that we share or this common salvation. Can I give you three or four or five things about this common salvation just by, um, just, just because it's going to be fun to share with you. Can I, can I do that? It's going to be very biblical and I think you're going to enjoy. It. But let, let me give you a few things real quick. I won't stay on it real long. But the first thing about this common salvation is that it's a, it's from a common source. Right? And who's the source of our salvation? God, I mean, it comes from God, the the salvation that we share, the common source that, that we enjoy is from God, where he laid out the plan. And the scripture teaches us that before the foundations of the earth, that the Lamb of God had already been sacrificed and given. In other words, the plan had already been put together. You see, the fall of Adam and Eve, and and I'll maybe talk more about this as we go through Jude, but the fall of Adam and Eve did not surprise God whatsoever. He's sovereign. He's he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And there was a plan even before when when Scripture says that that Jesus was sacrificed and given before the foundations of the earth. So the common source is God. The second one you know I'm going to love. What's the common method of delivering this common salvation? Come on now, y'all get this one. Preaching. Hello? Preaching of the gospel. That's the common method for delivering this common salvation. Oh, let me, you say, I don't know that I necessarily agree that. Well, I got chapter and verse for you. You bring me your chapter and verse to prove me different, and I'll give you my chapter and verse. Turn, if you will, to the book of Romans. I want you to get this. Romans chapter number 10. This is good stuff. Romans chapter number 10. Now, I'm talking about what is the method for delivering this common salvation. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 14. It says, but how can they call on him they have not believed in? It's talking about unbelievers. Now, this is more specifically talking about Israel, but it's also in reference to unbelievers, those that have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. How can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe Without hearing about him. And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good Things For all did not obey the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith, get this, comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Jesus Christ. So the method of delivering this common salvation and experiencing this common salvation is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the messenger and God's listen, that should never change. That's why, not because it's me preaching, but I believe the most important thing that's done any time we gather together in the local church is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, I don't think there's any other thing in the worship service that should take precedence over the preaching of the word of God, because that is the method that God ordained men to call. That he called, matter of fact, it says they've been called, right, to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That is the method. You say, well, I maybe need another verse. I'm glad you asked for that. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy. Turn there with me real quickly. You know I'm going to unpack this one a little bit. 2 Timothy chapter 4. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to just simply look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. In verse number 2a, the very first part of this verse, Second Timothy chapter 4, in verse 1 he says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus who's going to judge the living and the dead. By the way, we are all going to stand in judgment one day of our God because of his appearing in his kingdom. Verse number 2, look at this, you need to get a hold of this, proclaim the message, preach the word. That's the method. Well, why should we preach the word? That's a very good question. Matter of fact, that's what Paul is answering when he wrote to Timothy here in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and 4, actually chapter 2, 3, and 4. He's really answering the question on why we should preach the word. You want a real quick outline? Let me give you five points real quickly, and I want to unpack all of this because of the danger of the seasons why we should preach the word the day in which we live, the danger of the season. We look in chapter 3 and verse number 1. It says, but know this, difficult times will come in the last days. Anytime the last days are mentioned, it's talking about the church age. The last days. And People say, well, how long have we been in the last days? Since the year 2000? Well, that may be a very good guess. But the last days started on the day of Pentecost. We've been in the last days for over 2,000 years. You understand that? He says, but know this, difficult times will come in the last days. Get this. For people will be... here Now, he's going to give us some characteristics, some character traits, if you will, of people that are living in the last days. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money... Boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. And that just talks about people just being religious. Guys, do we see all of this in our day and age? Man, you look around and you just see this everywhere. And Paul or Paul was writing to Timothy and he said, in these last days it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. He said, now proclaim the message. And the reason we need to proclaim it is because of the difficulty, if you will, and the danger of the season that we live in. Look what he says in verse number 5, last part. Avoid these people. You say, "Are there are there folks we should avoid? He say, Pastor, tell me, are there folks we should avoid? Are there folks we should not be hanging out with? Now, I'm not talking about talking with them and sharing the gospel. And yeah, we should be sharing the gospel. But I'm talking about hanging out with. There are people. Now, by the way, I'm not going to tell you you should avoid people. I'm going to let God's Word tell you you should avoid some people. Let God's Word be true in every man a what? Liar, according to scripture. So what does God say about these types of people? God says in His Word, in verse number 5, that we should avoid these people. For among them are those who, who worm their way into households and, and they catch Sure, idle women burdened down with sins and led along in a variety of passions and always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Hello, do you think that's where we are? We live in the most educated time in all of America's history, but I think we are the most ignorant we have ever been. <laughs> Hello. That's just a revelation of scripture. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. And then he gives an example of, of Janus and Jambres who resisted Moses. Do we believe in apostasy? I believe two are identified here. So these also resist the truth. And men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress for their lack of understanding will be clear to all as theirs was also Ah, difficult times we live in. Danger of the season. What's another reason we should preach the word? In chapter 3, in verse number 10, because of the devotion of the saints. Look in verse number 10, if you will, chapter 3. But you have followed my teachings. Paul's writing to those believers. He said, but you have followed my teachings. My conduct. My purpose. My faith. My patience and love and endurance. And along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Listen, let me tell you why we need to preach the gospel. Is because of the believers in Jesus Christ need to hear the word, the devotion of the saints. Verse number 15, the dynamics of the scripture. Man, look at verse 15. And he says to Timothy, he says, from childhood, Timothy, you've known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, Paul is writing to Timothy. This is an interesting note, Ben. We just had the teaching uh, last week of the of the Jewish uh, Messianic Jew that was te- teaching to us. And I want you to look what he says about Timothy. And he says, from childhood, Timothy, you have known the sacred scriptures. What do you think he's referencing here He's referencing the Old Testament. That's all he had at this time. And Paul saying, Timothy, you, you've had the Old Testament Scriptures, the sacred Scriptures. Now look what he says about the Old Testament. The Old Testament Scriptures, these sacred Scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in who? Jesus Christ. You see, here's one thing you need to remember about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Man, they fit like a glove. They go hand in hand. Hello? Man, we need that. The dynamic of the Scripture. The demand of the sovereign, verse 16 through 17. Oh, there's a lot of reasons why we need to preach the gospel. But that's the common salvation, the common method delivered by preaching. It's offered in a common way. It's simply by invitation. You realize God's not going to force His way on you. Revelation 3.20, if you just want to turn to the right there. Just get your finger, lick it once, flip a page or two. You'll get to Revelation chapter 3. In verse number 20, the Lord Jesus says, Listen, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and have dinner with him and he with me. The Lord's saying, Listen, I'm just going to knock. I'm not going to kick the door down. I'm not going to bully my way into your life. You see, our God's a gentleman. God's done all, listen, He's done all He's going to do for us. I mean, He gave His Son. That's enough. Right? I'm talking about as far as salvation is concerned. He's done it. And now this common salvation is given by just one common way, and that is through the invitation. Come. Come, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. Right? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open, I'll come in and sup with you and you with me. It's to an invitation. We have to open our heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have, to, we have to invite him in to our life. Right? So it's offered in a common way. It's given to meet a common need. And we all know what that is. What's the common need of all mankind? Sin. Right? We, we've all been born into sin. And of course it... It ultimately supplies that common need, and that is salvation. That's what Jude was going to write about. But then he said, I exhort to write unto you about contending for the faith. Another key verse of Scripture, uh, that was Jude 3. Another key verse is um, Jude 17 through 19. I already read this one a little bit to you, but I think it's a very key verse of Scripture in, in this epistle. He says, but you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you. He's, he's wanted them to recall what had already been preached to them. And I wonder how many good messages that, of God's Word, where God has spoken to our heart that, that we simply just forget about. We need to recall some of that. Hello? Man, we need to, we need to recall some of that. And I I think that's what he's asking them to do. Remember! Remember the teaching I gave you. Remember the apostles' instructions. Remember what you've studied in the word of God. Remember what you've read. Remember how I convicted your heart in that area. Remember how I delivered you from that. Go back and remember some of those things, he's saying. But he says, remember what I told you. In the end time, there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. And these people create divisions. and are unbelievers and not having the spirit. Another key verse of scripture is verse 24. I like this one. Now to him who is able to protect you. To him who is able to protect you from stumbling. Aren't you glad we don't have to walk through this thing by ourselves? Hello? Aren't you glad we have an advocate with the Father? Aren't you glad we have the paraclete, the Holy Spirit? Aren't you glad that Jesus said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you? Hello? Aren't you glad he said all my promises are yea in Christ Jesus? Uh, Aren't you glad he said, "I'll meet all your needs according to my riches in in glory"? I mean, and this is listen. We don't walk through this thing by ourselves. He says in verse twenty-four, "Now to him," because listen, when we start going verse by verse to this thing, and we start seeing some of the some of the demonic battles and the the angels and the heavenlies and and the fight for our soul that's taking place, and and, and he says, "Now to him," (laughs) Jude is given honor and tribute and glory to God, and he said, "To him." Who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, get this, blameless and with great joy. Guys, do you know that as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a as a true born again believer in Jesus Christ, as a child of God, that you will be able to stand before a holy God as he is looking at you. You'll be able to stand before him blameless and with great joy and the joy of listen, the joy, listen, will not be works of righteousness that you have done, the joy will be that you came to a realization that you are a sinner that needed salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and you have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ and all of His righteousness has been imputed upon you as a believer. And now when God looks at you, He doesn't see you in the natural man. He sees you in His Son, Jesus Christ. And all of us can be joyful in that day because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Somebody say amen. That, that's really good preaching right there. In the presence of his glory blameless and with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory be majesty be power and authority before all time now and forever. I think those are some of the key verses. Let, let me just try to wrap it up we're just giving you a thought or two here and, and I'll be done. I'm going to skip the brief summary. I'm going to skip the connections. Let me just give you the practical application. I can't remember if I have a slide for that or not. But let me give you this. This is a very unique book that we're studying. And I think it's unique because of where we are in history. And I think it's unique because this little book of of 25 verses, don't underestimate it because it's small. Don't underestimate the power that's in this book. Don't underestimate how this book can help equip you to face the 21st century and live in this postmodern world that we live in today and contend for the faith. This book, these 25 verses, can help equip all of us to be able to stand in this day. But let me say this. I believe, and I don't know if I have a slide for this or not. I can't remember. you have to throw it up there if I do. But I believe this. Authentic, and I wrote this in my notes. Authentic faith always reflects Christ-like behavior. Hello? I got a message that I preach usually when I do conferences or camp meetings or revivals or some type of something like that. And it's simply called belief behaves. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to impact the way that you live your life. You can't come in here and chew your bubble gum and blow bubbles and come up here and say a little prayer and kick it back and go get coffee and go home and say you trusted in Christ as your Savior and your life not be changed. I just don't believe that happens. When you trust Christ as your Savior and you start living out this authentic faith in Christ Jesus, it will impact the way you live your life. And your life will be a reflection of Christ-like behavior. So if the world wants to see Jesus, all they should do is look at us. Wow. world wants to see jesus they should just look at us and how we live our lives Now i'm not saying we're perfect please don't misunderstand me but i'm saying the character traits of our lord should be exemplified in our life the way we treat other people the way we act get this the way we react should be like our lord Authentic faith in Christ, I believe the key word here is always reflects Christ-like behavior. And I guess the question is, we need to ask, is our love reflecting Christ-like behavior? And if there's a takeaway, I believe this is it. We all need a personal relationship with Christ. Listen, only when we know Him intimately... Can we hear his voice and respond the way he wants us to respond? So how intimate do you know him? How's your relationship with Christ? Listen, can you think of any time in your life when you may have been, feel like you were closer to Christ than you are today? If so, then the reality of it is, You're sitting here in a backsliding condition. And what we need to do is rededicate and recommit and renew our life to Christ Jesus and ask Him to forgive us and and start cultivating and working on that that relationship with Him. Because that's really all it's about. It's not about going through a, a whole bunch of religious activity. It's about cultivating that relationship with Him. And the more we know Him, the more we become like Him. And we're starting to be transformed into the image of God's Son. And I believe God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. I believe that. Our lives should be changed to be more like Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together and for your word. And Father, I love to just rally around your word. I love to just sit here and glean from your word. There's so much. God, I'm still learning. I'm still just learning. I I feel like I'm a child when it comes to Scripture. God, the more I learn, the more I feel like I don't even know. It's so deep and so vast. But thank you. Thank you for the teacher that lives within me, the teacher that lives within all of us. Thank you for the author of the book that, that we can ask questions to. I pray, God, you help us all to do what Jude said. Help us to contend for the faith and give honor and glory to you. And be so thankful that one day we'll stand before you redeemed with joy in our hearts because the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to our life. Bless, Lord, our, our church family. And for those that are here, give them a double portion this week. I realize everybody's extremely busy and has a lot of other things they could be doing. But thank you that they took time to come to your house tonight to study your word. And, Father, I pray you encourage them and that you pour out your, your blessings on them. Give us a great remainder of the week and help us come into your house this Sunday morning revived and excited to, to be able to gather together and worship together. And, Father, help us to be concerned about those around us that, that may not be ready to meet you face to face and help us, Lord, to just invite them to church and encourage them to, to look to you. And, and, God, help us to reach them for you and to contend for the faith and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask your blessings on each one that's here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.